touches the hearts of the folks who are here. Pray that you would um, be with uh, be with all of us. Help us to to know you more through this this message and and through our time together. Um, pray that you would help me to be faithful to what what is in the text and and um, pray that you would prepare the hearts of the folks who are here just to be fertile soil for for the seeds of your spirit and your word to find in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I. I was faced with a, a dilemma this week as I was preparing the message, and I, I, I'm going to start with a, with a little bit of insider baseball, okay? I, uh, when I, when I uh, write a sermon or when I prepare to preach, I have a, I have a set of rules I abide by, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm adamant. And once in a while, I'll break them. And when I do, I always say, I should never break my own rules. Because whenever I do, it always goes badly. And, and so... Um, like one of my one of my rules is I never like it's it's against the rules to write sermons at folks, right? Have you ever? And then it's a bad habit where you say, oh well, this guy needs to hear this, and so you write, you know. And, and as soon as that enters my mind, I have to stop writing and I have to pray and I have to scratch that part out, no matter how clever or how right I am, um, <laughs> because it it. Um, it's not right. Um, the, the message is we're looking for, for what God has for us, right, in the text, not what Eric has for you. Um, and, and I try very hard to, to, to stand by that. I don't lie. You'll never hear me make up a story that isn't true. Um, I did that one time. I will confess many, many years ago, my first children's sermon, I told a story to the kids that wasn't true, and I got, I got dressed down for it thoroughly. I don't know how the pastor knew that it wasn't true, um, but I, I we, so if you hear me say something, it's, it's, it's the truth. Um, I don't set out to offend folks. If I offend you, it was not on purpose. Got it? <laughs> um, there are times that I write a sermon and say, well, I'm going to be in trouble, but, but you know, if I say something that um, I try not to read because I do it terribly, so if it looks like I'm reading, it's because I'm trying not to make eye contact with you. Um, <laughs> Make that, you know, whatever you want out of that. That's you know, just what it is. Um, here's the, the big thing. Um, I, I, uh, I try to plan sermons way in advance. Got it? Like, in, and if I, uh, if I feel like there's a need in the church, I'll, I'll sort of veer at it, you know, or I'll try and plan for it. But, but I try to plan way in advance. And then um, when I get to a Sunday and I look at a text and say, I don't want to do that, I try to do it anyway because, like, if I say I don't want to do that, you know, it, it sometimes it's because I'm being selfish or I'm being lazy. Does that make sense? Um, this is one of those weeks. Um, we're doing the book of Nehemiah. Um, and, and in the Old Testament, uh, hold on, let me see if I, am I up there? Yay. Um, this is part four. It's chapter three, and we're doing chapter by chapter. We're going to knock out the whole book during the summer. Um, and and as, we're, as we're going through it, the book of Nehemiah um, just a little background here. Um, the city of Jerusalem, in uh, this is kind of right um, toward the end of the Old Testament history period. Um, the city of Jerusalem had been sacked by the Babylonians about 100 years before, and the walls had been destroyed, and the temple had been burned down, and the place was wrecked, and everybody who was important or worth taking was taken away in chains and like like put in, a, in another place. Right. And the land had been like vacant for the most part, except for the folks that, you know, the Babylonians said, well, you're not mo- worth moving. Um, and so those folks stayed there. And, and so um, at this point, they've started moving back and they've started setting the city back up. Um, the temple has been su- partially rebuilt. 
And they, they hit a stop point where some enemies came along and said, well, we don't want them to build a wall. And they complained, and the, the king at the time said, all right, no walls. And, and so now Nehemiah, in the first chapter of this book, prays, God, let me build this wall. And it turns out he's like one of the closest advisors to the king, and the king gives him permission. He travels there, keeps it a secret so that, like, folks don't murder him on the way, which is pretty wise. Um, if you know folks who might murder you for something, try not to tell them anything. Um, that's advice for husbands on Father's Day. Take what you will. Um, um, he, he, in the last chapter, he, he surveyed the walls and he gave a, a stirring speech. And the people said, all right, let's build this wall. And then this chapter is the story of them building the wall. So this is a 32-verse chapter of, and this guy built this, and this guy built this, and this guy built this. And I looked at it this week and I said, this is a really hard bit to talk about, right? Um, has anybody ever been to a college graduation or a high school graduation? I mean, like a big high school, not Big Sandy. Um, you know, where you get there, and I was in a high school of, I don't know, quite a few people, and it was, it was several hours of reading names of people I didn't like. And, <laughs> and, and so I was bored at my own high school graduation. I can't even imagine, you know, I, I've been invited to college ones where it's like, all right, 3,000 people, fill up the football stadium. We're going to call all your names. And I think, well, could I bring a TV? Is that all right? Um, this is a little like that, right? There's a lot of names. But there's some good stuff there. Um, I'm going to fudge on one of my rules today. I'm going to leave a little bit out. We're not going to do the whole chapter because 32 verses is a lot, and it's a lot of names. We're going to touch on, like, some of the most important. Everybody with me? And if you're so inclined, you can read the rest on your own at home. Um, just saying. <laughs> um, which, by the way, one of the other rules is I don't entertain. I'm here to share God's word. If I happen to be entertaining, that's accidental. It's not intentional, um, but, but I'm going to do my best, okay? Um, so in b- the beginning of the chapter, we have, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. All right, so that's verse 1. Now watch this. It's kind of interesting, okay? The priests get up. And they work, which is quite an accomplishment. If you see a minister doing manual labor, it's almost miraculous enough to put in the Bible. <laughs> Thanks, honey. Um, um, so <laughs> um, these guys are, Eliashev is like the grandson of the, the priest that was the high priest when they started building the temple. He is a good guy at this point. Later in the book, he becomes a turkey, right? But at this point in time, he's got his heart Hey, it's nicer than some words I could use, right? It's, he's a turkey. Later, at this point, he's, he's a part of the building process, and they built the sheep gate. Now, the sheep gate was so-called because, anybody want to guess? Because sheep went through it. That's right. Um, most of the gates were named according to what went through it or what the purpose of the gate was. And so the sheep gate um, was near the temple, right? And they would bring the sheep in for, for sacrifice at the temple. And so who builds the sheep gate? Well, the priests do, because that's part of their area, right? Um, like, it pertains to them. Um, so they build the, this, this sheep gate, and, and um, there's an idea behind that, but we're going to get to it in a little bit. Um, and, and it mentions these two towers. Now, in the first chapter, 
or in the second chapter, we, we, we find out like these towers are mentioned as a fortress. Um, the reason these towers are there is because Jerusalem's on a mountain, right? John's been there. And there are slopes building up to each side, right? Except on one side where it's flat. Now, on that side, you want your wall to be a little tougher, right? Because if somebody's going to come charging in, charging uphill is hard. Walking uphill is hard. Um, it is much easier to attack on a level on a level surface. So they, they built towers there to make it tougher, right? Um, it's a tower defense idea. Um, and all the young people got my awful joke. Um, <laughs> so so they, they build these towers and they consecrate them. They consecrate the gate and they consecrate the towers. Um, and, and here's why. Um, in the Old Testament, before this happened, there are a couple of places where um, these towers are talked about in reference to God setting the whole world right. Got it? So, like, there's this idea. Um, it's, it's the, the theological word would be eschatology or eschatological. Um, but we're going to talk about, like, like, when God sets the world right because it's easier. Everybody with me? Um, in the end, God will come along and he will set the broken bits in the world the way they were supposed to be. Right. The creation was not meant to be the way it is. People are not meant to die. Children are not meant to get sick. Um, Nobody is meant to shoot up churches. Um, There are things that happen that are not right. Right. And God will fix that. He'll set the world according to the way it was supposed to be. um, And it'll be perfect again. And, And this is very much in in our understanding, a product of Jesus, right? Like Jesus, um, God's son, dies for our sins, right? Or died for our sins. Um, He lived this perfect life and he took punishment for every bad thing I've ever done and every bad thing you've ever done, Um, especially Michael. Um, I'm picking on you this morning. It's because I love you. That's one of the rules. I pick on people I love. Ask my wife. Um, So um, Jesus died for our sins and that death, takes away our sins, and it puts us in a direction where the world will be set right again, right? Um, Everything we understand about God is through that lens. If you look at God and you try to understand him in a way that isn't based on Jesus, right? Isn't based on Jesus' work for us, isn't based on us being new creations um, in Jesus, then then you're going to end up a little sideways, um, and, and so what we see here is like, oh, the Jews would look at this. These towers are built. They consecrate them and they say, well, wait a minute. The world is going to be set right. And these towers are a part of it. And now we've rebuilt the towers. So they're there. And so we're a step closer to God setting the world right. And so this would be huge because they'd be looking and be like, oh, it's happening, guys. It's happening. Um, I remember when, well, now twice we've had two babies. My wife has had two babies. I just watched. Didn't look that hard, but... Whatever. Um, it, I love you, honey. Um, there's sort of this moment where, where you realize, oh, my gosh, it's now, right? Um, oh, my gosh, it's going to happen. And you get sort of this, you know, bit of anticipation, this bit of excitement. We're going to have another baby, like this living thing that we're going to get to carry around and change its diapers and it'll scream and won't be able to sleep. And, um, but that's sort of that moment they have. God is going to do his thing. Look, we have the towers back. Look, it's coming. And, and even as we read the whole book, the wall for the Jewish people, this wall isn't a small deal. 
it's a huge deal because the wall represents God's protection over them, right? And so it's this physical symbol that is right there of God is protecting us, God is restoring us, and God's going to set the world right again, right? And so the Jewish folks are excited about this. For us, um, we, we have symbols that we, that we carry, right? Some of y'all might be wearing crosses, right? Um, and, and those represent this other thing that Jesus died for us. They represent, like, these things in our lives. I worked in a rehab facility for a while, and we have these kids, like, at the end of their time there, they would get a coin or a token, and it was this, like, big moment to receive your token and to carry it around. And, and whenever they, everybody would sit around, they'd pass around, and they'd talk, and they'd share things, and then the kid would get his token in the end, and I always got made sure I was at the end because I would pocket the token, and I would add a Chuck E. Cheese token in, and they would get a Chuck E. Cheese token from me. And I would say, it's a cool thing to have, but it's only a symbol, right? Your, your token is only as valuable as the way you live and the way you respond to it. You know, otherwise, you might as well have a Chuck E. Cheese token. And then I'd give them their thing back sometimes. Um, no, why they made me. It's, yeah. Um, and, and there's truth in this. As the Jewish folks looked at these towers, as they looked and said, God is going to do a new thing, part of what God is doing is he's changing his people into the way they were meant to be. What he does with us is he changes our hearts to be the way they were meant to be, and he restores our relationship with him, right? And so, like, when we look at the cross, if the cross is, hey, I have this cross because, because you know, it's my salvation. As long as I have this cross, I'm okay. Mm-mm. Right? It's a Chuck E. Cheese token then. Um, it, it has no meaning in and of itself. The cross represents Jesus dying for us. The church represents Jesus dying for us and like us becoming the u- unified body of Christ. So I wanted to touch on that as we jump forward. So the priests have done their work. The, the towers are consecrated. There's this hope for the future. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to him, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. Um, we're going to go forward, and there's going to be a whole lot of stuff mentioned, but Jericho is not a part of Jerusalem. Everybody got it? And it's not even like a suburb, okay? It's, it's a little like Big Sandy and Great Falls. Got it? I mean, these are not places that are next to each other. And if you're riding a horse between locations... It's going to take a while, right? So these guys show up. They don't have an immediate investment in what's going on, but they participate anyway. Um, Why is that important? Well, it's important because what we're seeing here is we're seeing the Jewish people gather together and as a unit take care of each other, right? Um, Because they have a common goal. They have a common, like, spirit. They're working together because they are God's people together. And they are all looking at this wall and saying, this is important. We're going to do it together. Um, We're going to come back to that in a little bit. Um, We're going to continue with our calling names for the graduation ceremony. Um, The son... The sons of Hassana, my Hebrew is terrible, uh, built the fish gate. Guess what they brought through the fish gate? Fish. Um, and so this would be for the fish market. I'm guessing that the sons of Hassana are like connected to that somehow, but it's just a guess. They laid its beam and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the sons of Uriah, son of Hekaz, Repaired, And next to them, Meshulam, son of Barachim, son of Meshazebubal, I'm sorry, again, Hebrew, bad, um, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bena, repaired. And next to them, Tekoatites, 
um, repaired, but the nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Now, we're going to stop there because verse 5 has something interesting. What did the nobles do? Nothing, right? Why is that? Well, first off, um, it's possible that you know, we, last week we talked about there were traitors in the midst, right, spies, because all of a sudden all these bad guys in the surrounding community knew they were going to build a new wall. Um, it's possible that these nobles, because their location is closest to one particular bad guy that's frequently mentioned, they may have been in cahoots and they may have said, well, we can't help building the wall because if we do, we're sort of undermining ourselves, right? Um, we're, they were in an awkward position. They also may have looked at it and said, this is beneath us, right? And there are folks who will take that stance. That is beneath me. I don't do that kind of work because I'm too good for that. Um, now watch this. There's this great line where Jesus is teaching. And he says, listen, the Gentiles, their kings and queens, they lorded over them. They crush them under their foot. They step on them. They make them do what they want. They push them around. The Gentile kings like are, are rulers, right? And Jesus says, not so amongst you. The greatest amongst you will be the least. And the least amongst you will be the greatest, right? He says, if you are going to be my followers, your job is not to stand up high and make folks do things for you. It is to serve, right? And he demonstrates that at the Lord's Supper, where, or at the Last Supper, where he puts on a slave costume, the kind of thing everybody makes fun of, and he washes his disciples' feet, which is the job of the lowest person in the house. Um, and, and he humiliates himself serving his, you know, his, his disciples. So what do we do with this? Um, just as a pause here, um, and an aside, what's today? Father's Day. Fathers. Listen, fathers. There is sometimes an attitude that dad, um, his job is to be served. Isn't it true? I don't do the dishes. I'm dad. I don't, you know, I don't make dinner. I'm dad. I don't clean the floors. I'm dad. I don't do that. I'm dad. I don't do that. I'm dad. I don't change diapers. I'm dad. I don't do. And, and there's this idea that dad is apart from this. Um, fathers, if you are going to be a father who is like in the heart of Christ, right? Who is living the way God has called us to do your job is to serve your family. And sometimes it means getting your hands dirty. We're going to talk a little more about that later. So we're going to jump ahead. Six to eight. Joida, son of Paseah, the Meshalam, the son of Besodiah. I'm sure that they did these hard just to mess with me personally. Repaired the gate of Yeshena. They laid the beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Marathonite. Um, the men of Gibeon. Wow, I just got a Father's Day text. Happy Father's Day to me. Um, it didn't show up up there, did it? <laughs> Don't text me. You're going to mess me up. Um, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to him, there are a bunch of guys getting their phones out right now. Um, next to them, Uzziah, the son of uh, Hananiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Now, um, there are a couple things mentioned, people from different areas, people of different occupations. If you are a goldsmith, it is a fair guess. First off, you belong to a trade guild, right? But goldsmiths, probably not poor. Everybody with me? Perfumers, probably not particularly pure, poor either, right? Um, these are guys who went out and got their hands dirty despite the fact that they had these kinds of jobs. Because as a group... 
they work toward their objective of accomplishing like like God's work, right? They set out to do God's thing. Um, and, and it didn't matter that, hey, I'm a goldsmith. I don't do that kind of work, right? Because the work that is at hand before us, the work that God puts in front of us, is the work he, he desires us to accomplish. Um, another Father's Day note, fathers, this is... Um, serving your family. It is helping your wife know Jesus better through your example and your spiritual leadership for like your children. It is raising them up to know, um, to know Jesus. For those of you who don't have kids, right? It is serving God in the ways that he has put for you to serve God. Um, you know, I, I, I'm going to use Michael as an example because I, because I love him. Michael, um, in the time I've known him has found God's calling on his life very much in a real way is my observation. You can argue with me if you want, but do it through text message. Um, <laughs> but he, 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 he had several different jobs. He's working at the activity center now, and he serves people who need, you know, need help, right? He takes care of people who can't take care of themselves. And, and like when he has a bad week, I talk to him. He has a bad week, and he says, but I get to go to work today, and I get to take care of my guys, right? And when he's operating in God's place, when he's operating in humility, serving other folks, doing God's deal, he's in his sweet spot. Is it true? He's nodding. Okay. <laughs> I, thank you for not tripping me up there. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, it is the case for everyone who does God's work. There is no unimportant work in God's kingdom. Got it? It is easy to say, I'm not doing that because it doesn't matter, right? In reality, we accomplish God's work in this world not as individuals but as a whole, right? There's a habit amongst ministers. I'm going to do all the work and nobody else will have to do anything, or I'm going to do nothing and expect people to do the work for me, right? In reality, like, we all put our hands to the plow and our shoulders to the, you know, grindstone or chin to the grindstone. My dad used to say that all the time. Um, And so... Like, like, there's this huge thing. Everybody's a part of the work, and they all do it. Nobody sees, you know, says, well, that's not my job. That's not the kind of work I do. They just do it. Um, and it's the same with God's kingdom, feeding the poor, taking care of folks who, who can't take care of themselves, um, leading worship, praising God, singing, um, writing letters to folks who, who need encouragement, visiting folks in the hospital. Um, all of this is, is our job um, all of this is something that is on us, um, and, and none of it's worse than others. None of it's less important than the rest. It is all a part of God's deal, and we glorify God when we work and point at him while we do it. Make sense? Um, by the way, they repaired and they restored Jerusalem. There's an interesting thing in the language there. Um, I mentioned before that they looked at part of the wall and they said, there is no way we can fix this. And hidden in the phrasing there is the fact that basically they detoured around part of Jerusalem. <laughs> and so they said, well, we're giving up on that, and they built around it. Um, and it's just kind of an interesting little thing. Um, and they built, they did. The city was smaller than it had been before because part of the wall just couldn't be fixed. Um, ha- next to them, Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. And next to them, Jedidiah. Uh, the son of Haram repaired the opposite of his house. Now, watch this. Repaired the opposite of his house. That means the gate was where? Right outside of his house, right? So when he walked out his front door, the gate was in front of him. And we're going to see where this starts up, like, over and over again. It's, oh, hey, look, the gate was by his house, and 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 the gate was by his house. The reason that that's a big deal is... Um, 
if there's going to be a wall that's going to keep marauders from coming in, um, where do I want that wall? I want that wall to be by my house, right? And I want to be inside it. And I want the part by my house to be the best darn part of the wall that we could possibly have. Everybody with me? Like, if it's going to protect my kids, <laughs> you know, we may have the wall a little thicker and taller by my house, right? Um, the reason being that, like, your investment. Um, as God's people, right, the work we do begins um, begins very much where we live, Right? There are folks who spend their whole lives looking away and saying, I want to go to you know, India and do mission work. And that's good. It needs to be done, right? But it's far too seldom that we look at the world around us and say, what does God need me to do here? What does God need me to do with my neighbor? What does God need me to do with my wife? What does God need me to do with my kids? What does God need me to do with you know, these things? Because um, if, the house, you know, if the house, if our home, if our neighborhood isn't in order, like we can't really do right, um, Paul actually includes that in a direction to Timothy. He says, listen, if somebody's going to be an elder or a leader or a pastor, make sure that they're doing right in their house. If their house isn't right, they can't lead elsewhere. Why is that? Well, because if you can't make things right in your own house, how are you going to make it right everywhere else? Um, and so, like, as we continue in this, we talk about doing God's work. Um, heads up, it begins at home. And honestly, I'm going to say it. I'll say it over and over again. Like, it begins with dad. Like, we have a special job, man. And our special job is to lead and care for our family. Not to be served, but to serve. Um, Melchijah, the son of Haram, and Hesab, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section of the wall of the Tower of Ovens. And next to him, Shalem, son of uh, uh, Helohesh, ruler of the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. So this guy, um, Shalem, um, he's a ruler, first off, and he doesn't have any sons is the assumption because his daughters worked with him. Um, these are not – actually, um, archaeology has demonstrated that these walls were eight feet thick. Eight feet thick. They were stone and they were lumber, and this man and his daughters built it, right? Um, this is a man who is working with what he has, and he's doing the best he can, like – like for everyone else with what he's got, right? I'm not knocking on women as construction workers. I'm sure they're great, probably much better than me. Um, But the point being here, again, we see where um, God is calling us to work with what we have to serve him, right? To glorify him, to serve the folks around us. Um, I didn't include it in the text, um, but I want to touch on it. One of these rulers of the area repaired a building or a gate, and it was called the Dung Gate, Anybody want to guess what that was? <laughs> that was the gate on the edge of Big Sandy right there <laughs> where, where the dump was. And you would haul off the, the, the waste products um, from, from the community. Um, plumbing was very poor in this kind of area, right? Um, and so the dung gate was for hauling out, you know, dung. And so um, it's huge, though. Like a leader in the community, a politician... And I'm sure a politician was comfortable, you know, <laughs> working with a spot where we shovel away all the poo. Um, but he, he, this leader who could have backed up and said, you know what, somebody else needs to do that, right? And he would have had the influence to do it, did that. Um, because really great leaders, hear this fathers, hear this men, really great leaders do not shy away from dirty work. 
They do not shy away from doing things that no one wants to do. Um, my last job, I worked in a, the mental health facility, and everybody's like, oh, he's going to talk about that again. Um, we had several different managers who would cover different nights of the week. The guy I respected most was the guy who would walk in the door and help you do your job. He would plunge toilets, and he would, you know, he would do things that were just, they were awful. <laughs> um, the guy I liked the least, you never saw him when the hard work was ready to be done, Right? Um, because ultimately we look at people who will get their hands dirty with us and we respect them. We look at people who will serve and people who will lead and the people who will do like as Christ did, right? And take the low position in order to love the people around them. We look at those folks and they, they're respectable. They're something else. Um, that is a respect that's earned, not demanded. Um, it is the best kind of respect you can receive. What are the important ideas here? Um, first off, the restored temple and walls were a visible symbol of God's redemptive work and salvation. Um, we do not have visible symbols that are that practical, right? We don't have a wall around Big Sandy that says, do not come in here. That is not my salvation. That, that cross is not my salvation. The cross Jesus died on, and not even the cross Jesus died on, but Jesus' death for me is what saves me. In my life, if you want to see a monument to God's work in me, um, the only thing I want you to look at is I want you to look at the work I do, right, and how my heart has changed from where I was 10 years ago. And none of you guys knew me 10 years ago. Ask my wife. She'll tell you all about it. Um, the monument that we build and the monument we carry for God is our new life, is our new heart. When we reflect God's glory, when we live holy, when we love the folks around us, when we pray, when we serve, when we take on things that like need to be done because it's, it's how God wants us to serve, um, we build a monument to his name, right? And I'm guessing some of you guys have encountered folks like that that are giant monuments in your life, right? It was a, when I was, I don't know, 13, 12 or 13, I was invited to a church picnic. And the people there were nicer to me than anywhere I'd ever been. They learned my name. They were friendly. They, you know, made jokes with me. They were, they were nice. And I, like, met Jesus there. That's how I became a Christian. That's how I started going to church. That's why I'm here today. Those folks, I'll remember them for the rest of my life because if it wasn't for them, like, none of, the, none of my life would be the way it is. God put these people as a monument. These changed lives and these loving hearts is a monument for me. And you guys have the opportunity to do that. Fathers for your children, wives for your family, um, all of you for your community. Uh, Romans 5 talks about um, Jesus dying for us when we were ungodly. We recognize that Jesus and his, um, and his work in our life um, is our visible symbol. Right, Our change, our salvation, our forgiveness is all there. That's what matters. That's, that's our new life and that's our assurance. Um, not a huge, beautiful building or anything like that. Everyone pitched in, right? The leaders pitched in. The rich, the poor, the laborers, the artisan. There was no one who was exempt from working except the guys who didn't work. And I'll tell you, sometimes folks won't work because I'll say this is a bad idea. Years ago... Um, I'm sure my wife remembers this. When I was a youth pastor, I had a gal call me up out of the blue. She had just moved into the community, and she said, I am looking for a youth group to be a part of. I would like to hear about yours. And so we met her at a Barnes & Nobles, or no, it was a Borders. And we talked to her for about 45 minutes, and she asked all kinds of questions. So this is what we're doing here, and this is what we're doing here. This is what this program is. These are her Bible studies. And she was really excited until she said, how many folks show up every week? 
I don't know, 12, 13? And her face dropped, and that was the end of the conversation. Because what she wanted was, she wanted to be a part of something big, but she didn't want to build something big, right? People do that. It's easy to jump into something big because it's fun. Somebody else did the work. Um, within a year, we had 200 kids a week in our, in our ministry, right? I'm not saying that to brag. It's God's work. It was despite me being like a terrible like youth leader, but like God did good things, right? Ultimately, everyone who stepped in and said, well, I'll be a part of this and help make this happen. I'll serve God in this place. I'll reach kids for this you know, ministry. I'll do these things. They were a part of something great. And afterwards, they were able to say, look, I did this. Right. I glorified God with the work I did. Um, It's very easy to look and say, this is too hard. I'll meet you on the other end. Right. Um, Or sometimes I don't know. I'm going to confess something. Sometimes when there's work to do, I've learned how to look busy without actually working. Does anybody else do that? Is it just me? Thank you, Roberta. I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, There are folks that will do that. Um, Ultimately, we are. Oh, what is it, like 3,000 years later almost, and, and we're reading the names of these guys. We may not know who they are, can't pronounce half the names, but these are guys who are mentioned again because they glorified God through their work when it didn't make sense even. Um, everyone's work is meaningful. Um, there, there, were, there were people who lived in neighboring communities. They participated um, because they felt community and brotherhood. Um, watch this. 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm, it's up there, but I'm not going to put it up on the screen. I'm just going to talk about it. Um, talks about how Jesus is his church, one body, many parts, right? Some people are hands. Some people are feet. Some people are the nose. Some people are the ear. I'm probably the mouth um, or the feet, I guess. That's probably the grossest part. Um, um, the, the, so all of us have our different jobs and we all contribute. And when they looked and said, Hey, our neighbor needs help. Let's go do it because they had a unified purpose. When we look at each other and say, you know what? You're a Lutheran. We don't have the same job. That ain't the truth. Right? When we look at each other and say, I do not care for you because you offended me years ago. It's a little like saying, well, my feet offend the rest of me frequently. Ask my wife. Um, <laughs> And so I'm going to go ahead and ignore them because they don't get to be a part of the rest of me, right? Nah, not so much, right? We are a part of each other whether we like each other or not. And we are part of each other because we are filled with one spirit. We are all saved by the same Jesus, by the same blood. We were all destined to the same punishment for our sins that we've committed, right? And so Jesus says, you're one because you're my body. And our job, even if we don't live in the same community, is to work together. Um, I say this, this has been on my mind all week. There was a shooting this week. Did any of y'all read about this? In Charleston. And the first thing I read about this, I was very, I was like, man, that's awful. And I tried to spend some time praying about it. I started doing these other things. And I was like, you know, this is bad. Like, I should recognize these are my brothers and sisters in Christ who were murdered. And then I started reading something else. And it was all about, like, this in politics. And then all about that in politics. And after 15 or 20 minutes of reading other stuff, I started thinking, well, that's not even fair. Why would they think that? You know? And at the end of the day, like, like, everything that we can come up to divide us, is nonsense, right? What makes us one is Jesus. Not our politics, not our beliefs, not our color, not our anything. We're one in Christ because Jesus died for all of us. And it's easy to look at, I'm not a part of you, but it's just not true. We glorify God best when we work together and serve each other. So when dad sits on the couch and says, where's my sandwich, where are my slippers, where's my remote, and everybody leave me alone now, because that's your job. My job is to eat the sandwich and to watch football. 
It's not football season, I don't think. I'm not talking about any of you in particular. This is my tendency, except for the football part. Um, we're saying, I'm the nose, I got the best job. And that's to point in the air while the rest of you do the work. It's not true, right? As believers, as folks who are saved in Jesus, our job is to work together to serve and to love and to redeem the world around us and to share the gospel and to lead people to Jesus and to love them the way Jesus loved them and to forget all the differences and stand together um, as a family because this is a family effort in the end. These are people who are standing as a family, as God's family. Um, we're going to close in prayer, but my challenge for you today as you go on out of here, as you go out and finish, enjoy the rest of the – there's some, something going on this week. What is it? Homecoming. By the way, next year or next five years from now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a group to build a not from around here float. <laughs> Anybody in with me? <laughs> um, and <laughs> we'll be the guys from Jericho with our float. <laughs> um, you're not from around these parts. Um, my, my challenge for you this week um, is to look for opportunity, Right? is to look for opportunity to glorify God in your work and in your words and in your service. If you are a dad, enjoy your day. But recognize that as you enjoy your day, your job, your job is to be Jesus to your family, right? That's in Ephesians. I got the right book right there. Um, You know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Serve, love, represent, right? That is your job. Um, everyone else, our job is to stand together. Our job is to serve. Our job is to share the love and glory of Jesus dying for our sins um, and to live it out and build monuments um, to his greatness through our changed hearts and our new lives. Um, Let's pray and let's uh, go out and enjoy Father's Day. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us and help us to recognize that, um, that every section of your word can bring you glory. Um, Just as every one of us, no matter our talents, no matter our traits, no matter our skills, no matter our history, Lord, every one of us can bring glory to your holy name. We can bring glory to you by being who um, you call us to be, by doing the work you call us to do. pray that you would touch the dads here today and help them to love their families the way Jesus loved the church. I pray that you touch those with talents and skills and help them to spread your kingdom far and wide. And I pray that you would just be with this church and help it to be a standing like example, not through the building, not through our service, not through our immaculate carpet, but through your work um, in the lives of the folks who walk in our doors. Help us to be the church, the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Just a quick reminder, there are, in the back on a little table, there are study notes for next week's sermon. Um, Throughout this whole series, there are study notes. You can grab a copy. If you're not from around here, but you're visiting,